one. Welcome to the We Only Talk About Hockey podcast, a podcast where the description is the title. Let's start with the Minnesota Wild. And Shane, I one of the things that is really interesting with the Wild, I mean, of course, they've been winning and they continue to win, is how they've really jumped from arguably to arguably the best team in the West division this season. One of the best, like I honestly think they are a cup contender and it really reminds me of how far some teams are away from winning as in like, you really only need like a few rookies here or there. And that's like when they got, when the way Kaprizov has played and the way Kabokakinen has played, particularly he just got a shutout again. Yeah. Where, yeah. like, what is your takeaway with what the Wild have done? And what what have you taken away from how they've make it, taken this leap? So I think it really does show how, well, first of all, the right coach is a big deal. Um, a good goal is a big deal. And having a player become as phenomenal as uh, Kaprizov, he's currently on pace, actually, if this were a 82 game season for 75 points, 44 assists and 31 goals, uh, which for a rookie is pretty ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, it's crazy. He's going to probably win the Calder and Kapo Kakinen also is in the running, but Kaprizov is so much better that we don't even talk about how much of an impact Kakinen has had on the team as well. Yeah, uh, I completely agree. Actually, looking at the the most recent poll, uh, Kaprizov is like far and away the lead for uh, the Calder Trophy currently. Um, Kakinen, I think, is fifth, if I remember correctly, um, which coming into the season, uh, Kaprizov was, I think, around third or fourth. Um, but usually those preseason ones aren't super accurate. They're really um, just throwing yeah. crap at the fan. Um, but no, I think personally, I know you mentioned you think they can be a cup contender. I think they can give someone a run for their money. Uh, I think they can pr- maybe go deep. I think they're a year away from being like, you know, we expect to see them in like the final four or the cup. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they pulled the St. Louis and pulled the cat out of the hat. Um, but well, I wouldn't be expecting it. You mentioned St. Louis and we talk about how good goalies carry in the playoffs. That's like a big thing. So it is a question about how much can a goalie like Hapokakinen really carry in a postseason in, in the Stanley cup playoffs. But my takeaway is that they're already putting themselves in that playoff race and they're ahead of schedule. Yeah. And Very I mean, much so. and I mean, I don't know whether it makes sense to like buy in to the hype yet, but when you, I mean, when you look, cause especially when you look at the West and you look at those teams that are good, that are really good, whether they'll be able to beat a Vegas or a uh, Colorado avalanche in the playoffs, but they, but they look really promising. And I mean, it's they hard do. To- and I'm not even saying I could see them making it to, I could definitely see them making it out of their division. Like I do think Vegas is really good. Uh, I think Colorado is good. I don't know 
it seems like the last couple seasons they've looked really, really, really great. And then going into the playoffs, they look great early and fiddle down at the end of the playoffs. I don't know if it's the length of the season and if that's going to catch up to them. Uh, if the fact that the length of this season is shorter, if that's going to aid them in the long run, I don't know. Um, yeah. But it has in the last couple of years felt like as they got to the playoffs, something just was different. You still had um, McKinnon playing lights out. Um, I actually think that this wild team reminds me of the avalanche in that sense. But one of the things, I mean, just a quick note on the avalanche is that they were that type of team that really could have won the cup the past years when Kale McCarr came onto the scene in that first year and they took, then they handled the flames in five games and no and, one expected it. Yeah. Yeah. And Kale McCarr really came on the scene there last year. They got the short end of the stick where they basically played the stars without Philip Grubauer. So yeah, they did get kind of, yeah. And I could see that. Um, I, I, I wouldn't, let me put it this way. I wouldn't be surprised if they made it to the cup or won it. Like I see they have the potential, but I'm kind of hedging my bets a little bit um, with a very young team t- time to grow. I'm not sure if this is correct. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. It's the first year with this coach, maybe the second year. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does. That is one of the biggest things I've noticed is it's not just these two phenomenal rookies or Zuccarello finally finding his place there after a year. Um, all the units, all the lines um, appear to be working really well together. And I think that's a huge understated uh understated thing uh that i think a lot of people take don't take as credit for i think with the wild when i mean just the quick one last one last note on the wild here is they're the type of team that you really don't know how good they are until you watch them play when you watch them in person yeah and one of the things you notice with the wild especially with kareel kaprizov and joel erickson who's also one of the young players, you notice how fast they are, they are offensively, and particularly yeah, which, how, how quickly they can turn a quick turnover into a breakaway the other way. Yeah. Which by the way, is a huge departure from what the wild have been known for, for pretty much ever. Like the, their GM uh, said it the other day, he loves the change in the culture that uh, has come that has helped come about with Kaprizov and the more he wants fans to be able to come experience a fast flashy game and they're finally starting to be able to get that and I mean it would just be it would be great to see the wild in particular in the state of Minnesota be as good as he's a huge hockey state and they've been abysmal moreover just I mean like when you think about the other sports and you think about how Minnesota is the state of hockey and they could really embrace being the state of hockey and being good at hockey and they haven't for years. And it is really exciting to see what they built there and to see yeah. what they can achieve. hundred percent agree. And um, like was, I yeah. said, I think they've got a lot of promise. They could pull it off. Um, I just think maybe next year is more their year where like, mm-hmm. if you were to say bet um, I think it would be a fair like kind of thing next yeah. year, this year, I wouldn't, I would say don't be surprised if they make it far or deep in the playoffs. Um, but I wouldn't count on it. Yeah. So in the central division, the top three teams, the Tampa Bay lightning, the, um, the Florida Panthers, 
and the Carolina Hurricane are all within one point. Tampa Bay and Florida have 42 points, and yeah. Carolina has 41 points. Um, so given, given that and the closeness, out of the three teams, who do you think in particular is going to end up, not necessarily the playoffs, but who's going to end up winning that division? This is interesting because I go back and forth almost like based on the yeah. night because it's like one team wins and you're like, you really see how they play. Like I watched Florida Pan- the Florida Panthers sweep Chicago over the weekend and the miniseries. And I'm like, this is really a good team. Like there's really no weakness. And you could say that about all the teams. My, my thing is it's hard to bet against Tampa and it's hard to bet against the way, like everything about the lightning from Andre Vasilevsky potentially winning the Vesna and playing a Vesna type season to Victor Hedman, who is incredible, probably arguably the best two-way defenseman in the NHL. And all this, uh, I push back, but yeah. Yeah. But like, what's really impressive is all this without Nikita Kucherov, like everything, yes. the lightning. So, so it's, so, I would say lightning, but like, I'm really impressed with what Florida has done. That's really. The- okay. So, I actually noticed Florida last year. Um, they didn't end up doing anything or going anywhere, but towards the end of the season, they showed promise. I felt um, I just watching them. I don't know if they can compete. My issue. I, I think Carolina has more of the consistency that Tampa Bay might be lacking a little bit uh, without without uh Nikita Kucherov but but Tampa the keeps goalie winning situation but the, but the, the goalie situation is is where it really gets me um because I have no faith whatsoever in Carolina's goaltending I just really don't and I have all the faith in the world in Vasilevsky's goaltending um so, I think him or Marc-Andre Fleury isn't gonna end up winning the Vesna this year I think it's interesting you mentioned Carolina's goaltending because they kind of have a good goaltending duo or trio, if you will, because Mrazek hasn't really played. I think he's been hurt. Mrazek hasn't has- really played. I think he played four yeah. games. But uh, um, James Re- Reimer, uh, they have a goaltending. They have a good goaltending unit. Particularly, they get bailed out by what arguably the best one of the best defenses in the NHL. Just six. Yes, they have a phenomenal defense, and like. Just looking at who their top goal scorers and point scorers are, they have two guys who I personally would not think of when I would think of who's their top goal scorers with uh, Trocek and Niederreiter at 13. You have Aho at 11 and Svechnikov at 8 and Stahl in the middle there at 10. That's that's like, that's great, you know, all-around yeah. scoring. It's not bunched up. Mm-hmm. That's the interesting thing with them in Florida because both of them have deep scoring lines and the way, the way you win in the playoffs is basically with depth is with depth with three, three, four lines deep because good defenses take away good offenses and good goaltending takes away good offenses. You need to find those goals where they aren't going to be. I think that's really where Victor Hedman was so valuable last year in the, in the bub, in the hub cities of Toronto and Edmonton where so, you find where you get a guy like Victor Hedman who gets the space and who can create goals where other defensemen can't. And those kind of players are who you need for a cup run. No, I, I get that. Um, 
and you mentioned you liked the duo uh the in the carolina goaling but the only thing that's worrying to me about their goaltending is and i know it's not the biggest stat to put you know all your chips in is his goals against average is not very pretty um his offense has bailed him out a little bit and i don't think they're necessarily a grind team i think they're a little bit of a finesse team and in the playoffs they have some great but i think there are aspects of their game that in the playoffs that at least the last couple years you see that they had during the season that they just didn't in the playoffs um, and I think with a goalie who, and it's not only that his save percentage is pretty much 900. Yeah. And I think, I think without that great, it might be hard. So I might have to actually agree with you coming into this. I thought I was going to go with Carolina, but I think the goalie thing is a little too much for me, even without Nikita Kucherov. Um, I think just personally, I've seen over the last several years how much goaltending really is important in yeah. the uh, in the playoffs. It can obviously turn around. Like a great example of a goalie having a mediocre season and turning it on in the playoffs. Granted, I don't know if Reimer has that pedigree. Was the two thousand eight um, to not two thousand eight. 2018 caps Braden Holpe had mm. one of his worst years and then went into the playoffs and played absolutely phenomenally. Well, I mean, you could say um, that about any team that wins the cup where not any team, but there have been somebody always steps up. Yeah. yeah a good goalie who just I mean, last year, Anton Kudobin, nobody heard of yes. him really. And that I mean, was only true hockey fans knew who he was, but like he all of a I sudden started hearing about him. Yeah. Like halfway through, I think around the all-star break. Um, so mentioning the capitals, um, the East, let's shift to the East of it here. Most people people talked about the East division as like the, a lot of people felt it was going to be one of the tougher divisions because they felt like there were five teams that in most of the divisions would make the playoffs. The, uh, that would be the Islanders, the capitals, the Bruins, the Penguins, and the Flyers. Um, and one of them would have to be left out and, and it has shown a little bit, um, from the way the play is between those teams versus the play at the bottom of the division, which is a dismal with Buffalo, probably the worst team in the league. Um, despite their pretty good roster. Um, but the funny thing is the three teams that are currently atop had until tonight had all had winning streaks of plus five games uh the capitals tonight beat the islanders which i believe was pretty telling for their ability to yeah i think, I think it was telling that the capitals and that the game islanders. told a lot about both teams heading yeah. into this and in the landscape of the east division i think we could start like we should start thinking about how the islanders uh yeah anders lee's out so like you could say like that's that affects the roster I think I do actually. I think that was evident tonight. I think yeah, not playing a terrible team like they did the other day. I think the first game without Anders Lee, um, their offense just looked in the beginning. It looked okay, um, but you can kind of expect that on a back-to-back yearly first period being a little slower. Yep. Um, for the from the Capitals, but after that, their offense looked anemic. 
And I think they have a phenomenal defense and that could help them in the playoffs, maybe yeah. win a series. Um, I think, but yeah, I don't think long-term. That's definitely the first thing I thought of is that, yeah, Anders Lee is out and it's going to affect them. Eventually the shoe is going to drop and they kept winning, but they were winning against bad teams. The second thing is you look at this game, Noah Dobson wasn't playing and he's one of the young defensemen. And what's interesting about Dobson is that he's the type of defenseman that this season has not only like played well on the defensive end, but he creates opportunities the other way, which is kind of what the young defensemen in coming into the league are. My second takeaway is there are a lot more, there's a lot more, even if they're not necessarily as much as Hedman uh, or whatever, they're still a lot more geared toward being able to make that outlet pat that, on point outlet pass to a breaking guy or it's because of, it's how the game is kind of shifted where because the Speed game and skill it's because the game's faster and because so defensemen have kind of changed from the uh beat you on the boards type of player and uh battery with the blue line to kind of you have to get the turnover and then just create the offense the other way like charlie mcavoy uh kale mccarr who's kind of also in a league of his own ah. but like mm. Back to talking the, about the Islanders and the Caps game, Jensen yeah. has really emerged this year in doing that. Um, I actually think that's the highlight for the Caps defense. The last two years since Barry Trotz, who now coaches Islanders, yeah. um, has their defense slipped off a cliff. And this year, especially recently, so, it's more people starting to get healthy. think it's been yeah. looking better. And Jensen's taken a massive leap with Chara's tutelage. So I kind of want to talk about the Capitals defense. First, I would ask you is where do you think the Islanders stand right now? And then we'll talk about like what the Capitals did, because I think so, the Cap- they got a, they got the nine win game, the nine game win streak. Mm-hmm. And since Valentine's day, both the Capitals and the Islanders have the two best records in the NHL. Um, but I think with the Islanders, um, I think the Islanders probably end up in third when the division comes all said and done without Anders Lee. I think looking at uh, who they have left to play uh, out of the division, um, they've got a harder schedule and they're going to need some of that offense. Uh, and I think Pittsburgh, one thing about Pittsburgh who had uh, who's had a winning streak of their own is they actually, out of everyone in the East, have the easiest schedule. They still haven't played the Devils at all. They still got eight games against the Devils. Um, they And they have a few games against the, the Rangers, they, not the Rangers and Buffalo. They have, till the end of the season, the easiest schedule. And I think that's going to allow Pittsburgh to either come in second or third. And I think that offense is going to be hard. Um the Capitals, I don't know. They could slip off, but with the return of Samsonov, who was supposed to be the mm-hmm. starting goaltender, um, each and every game, it appears like he's better and more so, comfortable after having COVID. So, yeah, I mean, I kind of, I'm kind of like, before, like, before thinking about like where the Capitals really stand, when I look at the Islanders this season, we see a team that is very, like, a complete team. I think. The big question is going to be, will they make a move at the deadline because Anders Lee is out? So, I mean... Honestly, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about it because I was watching the game tonight between the Islanders and the Capitals. Yeah. And Kuznetsov has been kind of an issue with the Capitals for, well, essentially since the Cup. Um, He's been a little bit... played well tonight. 
yes, he did, but he's been a little lackadaisical. Um, and I don't know if it's not the right fit or it's just once he won the cup, he's, he has mentioned, he's like, Hey, it's just hard to try every night. You know, like, I think the reason they, the caps didn't trade him in this past off season or deadline was because they knew they were getting a new coach and they wanted to see if maybe someone hard, like Peter Laviolette, who's known for being a very big motivator could kick him into gear, but Laviolette's given up on him. He's taken off. He's taken him off the top power line unit, the power play unit. He, and this is to the de- This next thing is to the detriment of Rana. He's um, Kuznetsov is his shifts are starting eighty nine point five percent of the time in the offensive zone. It means he does not. He's like okay, just play the fifty foot game. You know, if you come back fine, but initially try to get off the jump early in the, in the whatever. But the negative effect that's had is on Nick Dowd who's now because yeah. there's that shift, he has to play a lot more in the defense and he's actually shown really good promise this year and he's their best faceoff man. So I think the caps might make a move with him at the deadline or the, after the season for a winger, because I think they have some promising talent so, in center. So, I mean, I don't think that they'll trade within division. I would, what, what I take away from, I mean, guess on the capitals note, because like the aisle, like, the Islanders, we kind of saw like the carpet, like like the the curtain removed a little bit in this game. In that game, what I saw from the Capitals is they switched to a seven seven defense seven defensemen and eleven forwards in this game. And well, for last couple games, yeah. And you when when I look at the Capitals, it's like you know what they're getting. You know where you're getting from your top line. You know where you're getting from Ovechkin. You know where you're getting from, and you know you kind of know what you're. Oshie. You know where you're getting from Oshie. You know what you're getting from uh, Tom Wilson when he returns. But the big thing is defensively. What can this team do? And I think the last and the last time we saw this team win win the cup and compete for the cup, they had that defense. They had their defense step up. So I think the switch that we're seeing from the Capitals is very telling, in the sense that. They're going to seven. They're going to seven defensemen. Chara has been a great addition. He's been their leading been, defenseman. He, I think, honestly, his biggest influence has not been himself on the ice. I think that is an addition. I think his biggest addition has been how he affected uh, Oshi, Not Oshi, Jensen. But I would like to point one thing out when you mentioned the seven defensemen. The only reason they're doing the seven defensemen is cap issues and Eller got hurt. Uh, the seventh defenseman has not been playing like tonight. The seventh defenseman was Trevor Van Riemsdyk and he had 51 seconds of on ice time. Uh, it's, it, it's yeah. It's been like that every game since Eller's been out, they've been pointing out the fact that there's just a dude sitting there, not playing. Uh, it's, they don't currently have the cap space to fiddle around without putting Eller on the longer term injury which it's not he was out for family reasons and came back and got a lower body injury he should be back in a, a period of time um but i but i still think your point stands at the defense and i think you can see that's progressively gotten better as the season's gone along as they've adapted mm-hmm. to peter laviolette and got the whole todd reardon out their system um but i think I think the emergence of Jensen has been great because of Chara. He also plays really well with Orlov, 
Uh, I think Orlov's been doing pretty well this year. I think Dylan, even though every announcer seems to think Dylan's been mm-hmm. great, he really hasn't. <laughs> so um, my only concern, because I think we're seeing like what the Capitals can be, and we're seeing, and I think when we see they how they fall apart in third periods, which they have been recently, and that could yeah, be a huge issue in I the think, playoffs. But I think more importantly is the goaltending duo or whatever they roll out with, which I think we're seeing Samsonov starting to uh, come out. Take the bigger games. He took but also the Islanders. What we thought he was going to be. games against the Flyers. Yeah. Yeah. It's very similar to with Sorokin and the Islanders, where like in March we started to see what everyone was saying about him. It was like, he's coming from Russia. He's really good goalie. Everyone's got to buy into the hype. So with Samsonov, we're starting to see that now. But how does that think, hold up moving forward? Is I guess the so. Question. So that's actually at least what I assume is why they originally brought in um, Henrik Lundqvist. Uh, initially, sad to hear about his heart condition, but uh, he's doing better. Um, was Samsonov is a very he's a very intuitive player, much like the Mark Andre Fleury's of the world, the the Lundqvists, the the very big on the quick snap movements, you know, being able to get from one side of the pipe to the other and make these brilliant saves. But at times, his some of his technical aspects look a little rough. Uh, they look better, um, but after coming off the COVID, he looked a little rough with it, even more so than he did last year. But and I think the purpose was to have someone like Lundqvist who has a similar play style, teach him how to make that balancing act. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there could be some of that. And Vanacek is a little better when it comes to technical, but his vision's not great. His goals allowed on high percentage chances is really high. And his, his, uh, and his speed is not great. There's stuff that you see with Samsonov that you just know he wasn't making that save. You, you know, Vanacek wasn't making that save. But I do think Samsonov can develop if they've got the right aspects, the right whatever. But it is. It's going to come down to they're a young core and how can they stand up to the pressure in the playoffs with the defense? Yeah, and it's, and it's going to be interesting because we know kind of the teams that they'll face in the sense like, Picture them playing Pittsburgh. Picture them playing the Islanders. It's it's been it's been for years, which is actually I think a great, not necessarily this year, but their normal playoff system is great. That has in division teams play it fosters rivalries, and the three years that Penguins won two and the Caps won one cup, they had to go through each other. You know, it was. Yeah. I think that's going to be big. I think the Boston thing's going to be interesting because. Boston does not have good history against Washington. I think it's like out of the last 20 something games they've played, Washington has won like 18. It's so like 18 to four. It's interesting you mentioned Boston because I think there's there there's this conversation around Boston, whether we A are overestimating because they, they've been sliding. What have we overestimated them? Or and two, how they stack up to the other top teams in the division. I guess I'll ask you, did we overestimate the Bruins? Going into the season, well, honestly, it depends on you ask. The East, it was a lot of people predicting different outcomes, different whatevers. But a lot of people, most people assumed Boston 
was going to be in the top two and maybe three at the worst. And I think currently, at least what they're currently looking at, don't know different parts of the season. They look completely different. Um, it depends what team shows up down the stretch, but they got rid of Chara because they wanted to go with a younger core in defense. And I think, and totally legitimate reason. I think it's, I just it's more than just that Chara might, because Tor- I think, yeah. Tory Krug I, I also. Think the young defense. Yeah. I think the young defense is going to be a, might be a problem for them. I can see them make it in at four, but right now the way they're playing, I don't see them making it out of the East. Um, and I think the Flyers are better than some people are currently giving them credit for because they had a bad last week. Cat The Capitals swept them three games in seven days. But I think the Flyers could really rebound. Um, and you might see mm-hmm. Boston miss, so, especially with the strength of schedule. So you mentioned the defense. And you, they didn't re-sign Chara. They didn't re-sign Tory Krug. And Chara, was they wanted to get younger. And Tory Krug, they wanted to get cheaper. So my thing with the my thing with the Bruins is that is that is that has become a struggle. The back end of their defense isn't as good now because Charlie McAvoy is now on the top pairing compared to where he was in the middle. I mean, he's great. I like I'm a big fan of Charlie McAvoy. Uh, but you look at the back end, that's struggling. <laughs> but yeah. I think I think with the Bruins is interesting because we look at them now and we say they're good, but they're not in the sense like they have a good top line with uh, and it Os- depends who shows up. But like way. you look at the back end of their offense, it's been struggling. There isn't really there's you're not getting production from that group. You look at the back end of their defense. I think I'm actually going to say the Bruins are going to rebound, and this is just a part of the struggles now. Whether they make a move or not is a question, but. You have a great top pairing, arguably the best in the NHL, one of the best. And you have you have a good top pairing on the defense. And Tuka Rask is a good goaltender. He's a goaltender that can carry. So, 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 I mean, with the Bruins, just real quickly, I think either A, they're just going to keep shuffling the lines until they find something that works because the talent is there, or B, they can get bring in someone who can make that impact. So okay, my you. thing is, and I know this is a lot of Boston fans are going to hate this probably, but I think they should mix up the perfection line, at least temporarily. Um, and I don't mean for a shift or two here and there, which we've seen them do. I mean, give it the old college try. Um, and I'm not even saying for permanency sake, I think, Having those other guys on, who are on that top line, who are very all very good, um, play amongst the other lines and shuffle or whatever, could give confidence to the the other line players. Could you know different things could show up. Yeah. Your best, all your three best players do not always and often should not always be on the same line. I mean, it's a classic debate in hockey. I think it's interesting because the talent is there, and I think. Very similarly, offensively, when we saw them reach the Stanley Cup final a few years ago and they had the President's Trophy, they were the President's Trophy winner, I think, last season. Yeah, not so, it wasn't last uh, last year, I think Tampa Bay in the end won. I no, might but, be wrong about that. No, but I mean, but Boston. I know had, that when they made it to the Cup, they did uh, 
they made it to the cup against St. Louis and lost. Um, but they were the president's trophy winner that year. I mean, the, the year after they were the president's trophy winner. Uh, yeah. But anyway, like, I think you might want to chain, you might want to shuffle the line. Maybe I would t- maybe take Brad Marchand and move him out and bring in someone, bring in maybe a Nick Ritchie, Charlie Coyle type player into the top line and move Marchand who can kind of create on the outside on the, on the, on, around the boards. He's a good crew. But I think with the Bruins is we seen the talent, their talent that seems to be a, not producing as much as people know they're able to. I think yeah. mixing up those lines would give them a fresh feel almost, mm-hmm. and it could give them a spark. Um, but who knows? I think they will rebound. I don't think they'll be as bad as what they've lost four out of the last five. I uh, haven't seen what tonight's game was. I think but... they beat they beat the Penguins tonight. Uh, okay. It was there. They had a they started a goalie whose name I'm blanking on. It was his first start, and he had a shutout, I believe. Uh, the game was 2 1 and yeah, Vladar. Yeah, no clue. I'm saying it was his first start, but he had a um, a great start. Great uh, game, it's interesting. Five shots, it's interesting because, like, k- between um, Yaroslav Halak and Casey DeSmith, I really don't know who is who because they're both backup goalies who, like. Yeah, I guess like they could start, but like you don't you don't expect them to carry much like weight moving forward. And I mean, with it's interesting with uh with with the Bruins, I think it, it's really like if they get in and if they just start re- if they play better in the latter half, they're the type of team that nobody wants to face. And I would think that they're the team particularly because they have that yeah, roster. They have the talent. Um, just quickly um, on the Penguins, because we've talked a lot about goalie or whatever. Yeah. Even though the Penguins have been doing well and they have the easiest schedule, I think might end up second or first in the division. I don't honestly think they have what it takes because they don't have a goalie. <laughs> like I, there's no real faith I... in Christian, not uh, in uh, Jari and whoever the other guy is. <laughs> who uh, I'm K- blanking on. Casey DeSmith, I think. Casey to Smith. Yeah. I, I don't really have any faith in them long-term. Uh, they obviously have Crosby and Malkin. Their offense will be able to produce and win games. Um, I just think in a long seven game series, I don't think they can, they might pull out one if they got the right matchup, but honestly, I don't see yeah. them. Like if they I got think... the Islanders, I think they could beat the Islanders with their lack of offense, but. Well, the Islanders actually last time they faced them, swept them, but like, the Islanders have played them enough games where like already it's going to be interesting to see how they look down the road. One last note, because we talked enough about the East, East division. I think we talked the most about it. I think one last note is with the Penguins is if we talk about a team that struggles on the back end, the Penguins for sure are that team because you look at outside of the Crosby line, outside of, outside of, defensively outside of what uh Chris Latang maybe you get a few good defense players who play well defensively on a given night but on that back end they struggle and then of course the goaltending duo so let's like I guess let's shift over to the north division I mean because this is like the last division we haven't talked about yet so 
I think I forgot which team we talked about with the cap. I think it was the Capitals. The cap hit. How like you can't win with yeah. a can't win with a with a cap. I look at the Oilers and I see McDavid and Drysaddle taking up a ton of their cap. Can this is like a burning question I have? Can you win when that much of your salary cap is devoted to two good, albeit great players, but two players? I think it really depends because their offensive production is off the charts. Um, you know, they they've both of them have had five point nights and multiple of them this year. They've both got 17 goals. <laughs> David has 36 assists. Russell has 20 and they don't, it's not only that they get the biggest spotlight. You also have, they also have, three other guys above seven, which isn't terrible when you start looking at other teams. They've got Nugent Hopkins at 10, Nurse at eight, and Yamamoto at seven. So it's not terrible, their production. And I think they they have a very good passing team. Um, I do think they have good depth at passing and movement and speed. My question about them really comes down to the goaltending is will their goaltending be able to hold up? Cause I think their offense can offense and even defense can hold up in the playoffs. I don't know if their goaltending can against that division. Well, it, it is interesting. Cause yeah, Mike Smith and uh, Miko Koskin, and that's your goaltending duo basically. Uh, and two other guys who have played games for them this year, but really it's going to be Mike Smith and Miko Koskinen. It is interesting because the Oilers have put together a it's hard to point to one unit and say that is their weakness with the Oilers goalie. Maybe and maybe even maybe even with goalie, it's like, yeah, are they but like Mike Smith kind of came in late. Miko Koskinen kind of took on the workload early because Mike Smith was hurt. So he his stats got took a hit as but and he kind of was overworked. Mike Smith in the 14 games he's played is nine and three. Um, not terrible. Like mm-hmm. the win percentage is good. Uh, his goals against are like two, three, and he's got a nine twenty one. So it's not bad. His, his stats are not bad. Um, my thing is he's older. And if they start leaning on him now, because Koskinen was eight and 10, if they start leaning on Smith now, is he going to be, I hate going to the age thing, but is he going to be able to physically hold up being the main goaltender for the rest of the season and the playoffs? If they were able to find a way to rely a little more evenly between them on Koskinen and Smith, if Koskinen could raise his game a little, I think Smith could come on in the playoffs. Uh, I think he's the better goalie. Um, but I think that might be an issue fatigue for him, even in this shortened season. Um, well, for sure in this season, because it's a condensed season. I mean, that too, you have, it's double-edged sword. It is within their division. Jacob Markstrom had a drop-off because he was being overworked. And I think we've seen this with a couple of goalies that are just getting overworked. I think with the Oilers, it is interesting because it's really about who they'll play, I think, and moving forward, how they build their roster. Because I think they'll make a move. They, there's been plenty of rumors about the Oilers, whether they're going to make a trade or not to try to bring in an extra defenseman or an extra uh, player on the later lines. 
it's really about like what are they going to do moving forward because like they had like they're that team that yet could i mean in, in a way we're kind of rooting for them because like Connor mcdavid like many i'm kind of rooting for Connor mcdavid yeah um, everyone's rooting for the greatest it's player been, it's been hard and he is so good yeah you know he is he is really good and this year he's already crossed 50 points he's on pace i think last i looked it was something like 140 something points in a single season if it were a full-length season uh which is ridiculous especially for the modern era where um where goals on average are less like you haven't seen someone cross the 125 point mark since the early 90s since like 91 so i think yeah it's like we're rooting for the best player in the in his respective game to make a cup run or like whatever establishes competitive be yeah be realistically competitive in the playoffs and i mean it kind of one of the fears is that they're going to face a team whether it be the maple leafs or the jets who one can combat fire or fire can 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 score with can, can trade goals with them and two just a team that can play good defense on the blue line and i i mean it's particularly on the blue line where like McDavid loves creating those rushes, loves creating those opportunities the other way. And the teams that just basically stop him in his tracks early on are the teams that tend to do well against him. I think particularly this season, the Maple Leafs have given him more trouble and the Jets have given him more trouble because they can establish that blue line defense. Yeah, uh, I agree. Um, the Winnipeg has, so the, I think a win, the Winnipeg is almost, the opposite of the Oilers in certain aspects, they don't have any one or two huge scorers, huge production makers. You know, they do have uh Shafile, um, who's done pretty well, but like their, their top five scorers are all within five or six points. Um, goal scorers, uh, points. It's a little more varied, but so I think, something Winnipeg has, which I think a lot of people are underestimating Winnipeg, honestly, because they're Winnipeg, um, is that I think they have one of the deepest rosters in the league. Um, And I think, honestly, I kind of feel Winnipeg might come out of that division. I was about to say, like, that's the team I have like, like, coming out of like, the division. They're like, so under the radar. Completely honest. But, I but didn't know much about them till the last Connor Hellebuck, goaltending carries. You have, you have, you, people like to point to the defense. They have a few, they have at least two good pairings, arguably three, the way Forbert, Derek Forbert and Neil Pionk have kind of burst onto the scene this year. They've, they're not a flashy team, but they're a really solid team. They they're a deep roster, and I think what's interesting is because when they traded when they traded away Patrick Line and uh, Jake Roslovic um, for Pierre Luc Dubois and a third round pick, people were like, "Oh, you're trading away extra pieces, and they need those extra pieces." But what ends up, cohesion and depth. Yeah, you end up getting Pierre Luc Dubois as a second or third line center which is basically just adding that depth, but he creates that extra, that extra line of scoring, which they need and they have now. 
So I mean, yeah, my question is 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 yeah, you you would you would say they're the sleeper at I mean, not a sleeper because they have the second best record. I would but- say I they have a very good record, but I still think no one's paying attention to them except for their fans and the team they play that night. I think the people in the North might pay attention to them because of how often you're playing each other. Yeah. But I think most of the other fans of the other divisions are, are sleeping on them because they're not flashy. They're not popping up on your highlight reel. You're not getting the notifications about them very much. They have their highlights, but like they're not reach, reaching a huge wide base. And so even if, statistically and team wise they shouldn't be called a sleeper i think to the most of the fans what they'll do in the playoffs will surprise people i think think they could i could see them beating edmonton toronto they those two teams have more flaws and i think the depth and the 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 no glaring hole will be huge especially early on in the playoffs. It's interesting because like a lot of people look at Toronto as no weakness. I think the big question is with Toronto streaky. I think their offense is streaky, but not only that, like it's, I mean, because you you look, they also don't really have a lot of weaknesses. Is can the goaltending duo or Frederick Anderson particularly, can he carry you to a cup or can he carry you out of the final, out of the North region? Um, the North division. And that's, I mean, I guess that's the first question. The other one is when you look at the Maple Leafs, it's very similar to when other teams play each other in the playoffs. Once people realize, I mean, once people figure out how to contain Austin Matthews, which seems like an impossible thing because Matthew Austin Matthews is probably the best goal scorer in the game. I think it's more of it's it, he's, I mean, he's this season probably not of all time, of course. Like we're not saying uh, obviously that. not of all yeah. time, but even this season, I think um, I'm not quite sure. He's flashy. He's very flashy. He's not as much of a uh, of an of a uh, pass guy as Connor is, but I think because of how much Connor passes, people don't necessarily realize what he could be doing scoring the puck. Um, I think there are times where he could score the puck and he's like, well, that's a more surefire goal. So I'm going to go with it. I it's think kind of a different of style though. Off- yeah. But I, that's what I'm saying. That's their style. He's McD- like, McDavid- I'm going to go for the more surefire thing. Well, Austin I think Matthews that- is, I can do it. Well, McDavid, I think, I think this is what puts Austin Matthews over when you watch a lot of his goals and a lot of how, a lot of his highlights is McDavid can, McDavid's, almost all McDavid's highlights are basically from the blue line, gets the puck and then just uh, goes skates past five defensemen, puts in the back and then down on a breakaway. Austin Matthews kind of with the top line with Mitch Marner. Uh, they, scary top line. Yeah. I, I don't know. I forget who, who they rotate into that other spot, but it's on that top line. He kind of it has an instinct to find open space in front of the net they get him the puck and he just he just knock it. John in. Tavares or is it no longer John Tavares who's been? I think he's on the second line. line, but I can't be sure. He's had a down year. Not gonna lie, he's had a bit of a down year. But it's it's um it's more than that because like they kind of they had Wayne Simmons, but he's now hurt. He was the guy who they kind of love to rotate into that mix. They have Zach Hyman who kind of they they rotate around. Joe Thornton is a veteran in the later lines now. He's very good. So. 
the thing is with when with a with a guy like Matthews when he when they re- reach the playoffs teams basically say keep an eye on him constantly just make sure he doesn't beat you make I sure think, so you mentioned Marner and Marner actually has the most points on the team but I think a lot of that comes he's a very good line mate for Matthews um I think he fits the role well he's not super yeah. selfish he's you know he's okay playing with a guy who's got that superman-esque you know take it himself kind of attitude um but i think if you can i think i hate saying this about hockey players because they're professional athletes but i think austin matthews is not built for a fight nearly as much of a as a lot of guys are um you've seen it the last couple years especially when they've played boston uh, with Brad Marchand and Pasternak um, essentially just <laughs> beating the hell out of him. Well, legally, but beating the hell out of him. It's interesting you mentioned Boston. It puts him off his game. It's interesting you mentioned Boston because that's the team I think it's the blueprint for beating Toronto in the playoffs. And I think when you look at how the Blue Jackets played, the Blue Jackets, they, 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 Boston also, Boston has that blue collar like reputation. They roughed, they would rough you up. They wouldn't, yeah. ha- they wouldn't, they wouldn't mind playing. John Tortorello, he'd be pissed at you if you didn't rough him up. <laughs> so, and you look at, you look at how Columbus basically shocked them. And I think that's what we're going to see regardless. If they it, make it to the playoffs. Well, to, well, no, I'm saying I wasn't thinking of Columbus there, but I was thinking more if Toronto is the one seed, which it looks like they are whether they play the Canadians, the Calgary Flames, or the Canucks, they're, they're going to face a team that's going to rough Austin Matthews up and also so just take him out I, of the I game. think Winnipeg has that ability too. Um, I think Montreal, honestly, and I actually think that's why it's really bad for them at the top seed right now because uh, that would mean, as far as I understand the way the playoffs are going to work, they'd play Montreal today. And I think – Maybe they like eke it out past Montreal. I don't think any one team in that division has the capability and the the personnel to do what Boston did with Marchand and Pasternak beating him. And he gets a little, you know, skittish about trying things. Um, I don't think any one team might be able to do it. They might, but I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be a second round thing. Like they play Montreal, they get roughed up, they get, you know, maybe some, not like big injuries, but like lingering things that like hurt, you know, going into that second series against Winnipeg, even Edmonton, but I think more so if it were Winnipeg. Um, and I think that is a way it could go because it's a blueprint for them. Roughing them up is, has been shown to be effective the last several years. Yeah. Um, being physical against that top line. Um and it's and it's it's going to be interesting looking forward. I mean, it's also because of what the other teams are going to do. Just because the deadline is coming up, what are they going to do to to yeah. make that make the that move? Landscape. To- the landscape will look different uh, when the deadline comes and goes. But honestly, I don't think real accuracy or real whatever will start to come. I think a week week plus after the deadline because new players shifting fixing you know moving things around um 
And I think that's when a picture will really clarify, especially for a division like the North, where I think there are multiple teams in that division who might make a move. I could see Montreal making a move. I could see Edmonton making a move. Uh, Calgary is on the cusp right now with Montreal. I could see them making a move, trying to get over the hump, maybe on the back end a little bit. Yeah. Uh, But, but yeah, so it's going to be really interesting to see. I think the North honestly is probably going to be the most affected by a move. Maybe the East with Boston, Boston made a move. But I think that's the division that's probably going to change the most post-trade dead, uh, deadline. It is interesting because with the North, you have to quarantine 14 days. We saw that with Columbus where they where they made that deal with Pierre-Luc Dubois and Patrick Laine. They had to wait 14 days to get, their, to get Dubois for the Jets. It is going to be interesting moving forward. I just like one last note on the what Can fate's going to remind me when was that deal made? I don't remember it off the top of my head. It was like late Jan- mid to late January. Yeah, or early season, early season. Yeah, right. It was like the first few weeks of the season. It, I I have a feeling just like fate's going to have it that we have from the North Division, no team has won the Stanley Cup since 1990, 1993. The Canadians won in 93. Fate's going to have it that like the Jets who don't really have a history of a history they because they were newly founded again they don't have that again yeah and they're they're gonna just make it out and be the team representing the north division compared to the maple leafs who haven't won since 1967 or the oilers who have mcdavid and drysidle who we all want to see make it out fate's gonna have it that like the the most the least exciting story which would be the jets would yeah, make it out. They're 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 not flashy and finesse like um, Matthews. It's not a one man show. But also, who's um, who's watching? Co- who's who's rooting for Connor Hellebuck? To I mean, <laughs> I mean, he's he's good. I I like Connor Hellebuck a lot. But I don't. But people like the NHL world, the hockey world, root for McDavid if he makes it out. Compared, yeah. um, but oh no, I think they're actually an interesting division. Um, I honestly overall think it might be one of the weaker divisions and I'm going to talk about it backwards than most people would. Most people say the more even the points are from top to bottom, the better the division is. I don't think that's true. Um, I think that means anyone in the division can beat anyone, no matter how good or bad they are. I think that means there's less difference in them. And so, and I think that means overall, I don't know what they could do long term because once again winnipeg looks real good but they're only playing the north and i think overall the north might be the weakest division like i think even ottawa lowly Mm -hmm. ottawa in that division has not 22 points i think it's interesting going full circle to like back to the wild where you look at the west which is like it has a bad bottom feeder like you look at the bottom feeders in that division who the teams that have struggled but then you look at the teams you look at Vegas, you look at the Wild, and you look at you look at the Avalanche. St. And- Louis and Colorado, I think they have a very good top four. Um, but we also all expect it to be those four. Um, yeah, and, but like, I don't for- know who's going to come out of that division, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. And I think with all those teams, it's just like it's going to be fun to watch Like, like moving forward anyway. I think it's going to be interesting, especially after yeah. – you know, 
five months, four months of playing against the same, the same seven teams. Um, I think it would be, it's going to be interesting. These teams have gotten in the groove because they're playing each team eight times. They've gotten in a groove. Okay. We play this team that way. We play this team a little bit that way. I think it might be a tad bit of culture shock coming out of after the divisional rounds. I think it could get like those first couple games in each series could get messy with teams trying to figure it out because they've been playing eight teams the entire season. Yeah. I mean, it's very similar to like facing the West uh, in regular year. All right. So we are out of time for today. Thank you for um, listening. Sorry. I'd like to just interject one thing right before we, all end. right. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the hockey world, there was a tragedy this week, uh, a Russian born defenseman in the Russian league, um, 19 years old, uh, passed away after three days in the hospital after having a skull fracture and brain swelling. Um, everyone knows playing the game. It's dangerous, but, uh, doesn't lessen the, uh, tragedy of it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's tough because like it reminder hockey, hockey's a rough sport. I mean, that's why, I mean, we used to not wear helmets when playing hockey, but now like we know that. Yeah. So yeah. And, and he just got hit in such an unlucky spot. And I also, I have to say, feel a little bad for the guy who shot the puck. You know, you never expect that to happen. Um, but all condolences to the family. Yeah, uh, indeed. Uh, all right. So, and that's all the time we have for today on that note. That's all the time we have for today. Uh today's podcast we hope you like it please uh listen next week we'll join us next week for more hockey with where that we only talk about hockey so thanks a lot uh, and good night